disciples were, as you would imagine, if you saw somebody walking on the water coming towards you, what would you do? Whoa, right? They were filled with fear. They were filled with, well, I don't know all of it, but they would actually screamed out because the wind and the, and the, uh, the waves were very boisterous. It was incredibly an upsetting time. And yet, Jesus came into the boat and it just became calm. There was something there. Uh, let's go back to that passage, if I can remember exactly where we're at. Let's go back to Matthew for a moment. There was something that began right here uh, in Matthew chapter 14, I think, is where we'll want to go. And keeping in mind that prior to that, the previous Sunday, we looked at the feeding of the 5,000, which were 5,000 men. So probably he, with five little biscuits and two small fish fed 25,000 people. That's a miracle. As he kept breaking off these fragments of food and the disciples would have spread them across the entire crowd sitting on a hillside. Um, And at the very end, they gathered what was left and there happened to be just exactly 12 baskets, small baskets. And guess who hadn't eaten yet? The 12 disciples. Isn't that cool? And then it says that they went off into the ship. And it seems like none of that feeding of the 25,000 meant anything to them. It was just like, whew. Well, it didn't make any difference. It said their hearts were hardened. But when he was walking on the water, I want you to see something. Once again, it's a little bit of review. But chapter 14 of Matthew, as, as Peter, we described him for a moment as well, that he reached out and he went out on the water and he walked on the water for a moment until he saw his surroundings. It's the same way with us. It's amazing how everything works out if we have our eyes on Jesus Christ. But when we look around, and the wind was boisterous, the challenges of today, the challenges of our problems, and guess what? We sink. Our problems get huge. Our God becomes small. But verse 31 of Matthew chapter 14 says, And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand in regards to Peter, caught him, and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him. That's the first time you find that the disciples literally worshipped this one that they've been following around for probably a year to two. This is the first time. that They would have called him teacher. They would have called him rabbi. They just called him a nice guy. They said, it's pretty cool what you got done. But really, that's the first time that they literally worshipped him. That was a real climax in their, uh, what should we say, in, in how they viewed him. Uh, Larry, I'm going to ask that maybe you would... That picture, the, uh, the, the map we have of, of Sea of Galilee, I'm hoping that it goes far enough north. But at any rate, let's go back to Mark now, knowing that that's kind of where we, we ended up, is in Mark. But there's some things that took place even after that and leading into that I skipped over, and we've landed on this healing of the blind men. And blindness in that day, and every other disease, every other ailment, guess what? There were no hospitals. There were no medical centers. There were no healings. There was no way to be cured. It was literally rampant across the land. Think of that now. Just take all of our hospitals away. Take all of our doctors away. Take everything away that you know that you can probably go get somehow at least looked at. Now, there was some really weird stuff that went on. I was reading a little bit uh, maybe this morning or last night. I don't remember which. Um, If you... (laughs) If you mix rooster's blood with honey and put that in your eyes, that was supposedly a cure for blindness. Uh, that worked out well, I'm sure. But, but I mean, you could just think, and I, you could go on and on, but people would try almost anything. But now what's happened now is this Jesus, this one that they're hearing about, is literally going across the land and he is healing the blind. He is healing the deaf. He is healing those that are diseased. He, there was a woman with 12 years having a, a hemorrhaging condition, healed her, and you could go on and on. And he's the only one that truly is getting it done. In fact, we find him, so we're going to be looking at this. Oh, it doesn't quite go far enough. Um, so let's see if I can, we'll just kind of play with this for a moment. He's going to be moving out from when he left. This, oh, go, go, if you can go further north, if you will. Oh, perfect. This is fantastic. Can you guys see it, though? That's not so perfect, maybe. 
But if you, if he was basically had been surrounded, his ministry has been encapsulated around Capernaum. If you see that right there, that's where his ministry has been just really fixed. Now you'll notice right beside it today, we find that we're back at Bethsaida. But in, there's, a, there's a time lapse of probably several months, and I'll, I'll try to help you through this for a moment. If you remember back in our study of the feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew's account, it says in chapter 14, verse 19, that he told them, or he had the disciples tell the people to sit down on the grass, okay? Um, as we get past that moment, he actually moves from this area and goes all the way up. Let's find our, let's find our passage in Mark. You're still there. Let's find this. We'll read it. It'll make a lot more sense to you. Um, I'm going to just step back into Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. And it says, again, departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon. What in the world? How did he get there? Let's take a look here at from this area where he was. Tyre's all the way up here, which is about 50 miles north. Then he went all the way to Sidon, and we have absolutely not one thing is told of us. Any miracles, any interaction, any teaching, any anything. Now, was there probably, of course, there probably was. We don't know that. And then he takes this trip, probably went further north, actually, to get around the mountains, came all the way down, and I'm looking for it. And where is it at? Uh, bum, bum, bum. Decapolis. There it is. Really big. Big letters. And he, he did a series of things there. In fact, that's where in this area he fed the 4,000. That's a Gentile region. Okay? He's probably traveled 150 miles. Well, what was he doing on that trip? Guess what's always happened in the time that he spent around the Sea of Galilee as his popularity picked up? He didn't have time to physically or personally instruct his disciples. He wanted one-on-one with these kids, with these kids, with these disciples, these 12 that he had gathered around him. And so this was kind of like a seminar in walking. Uh, How long would it take you to walk 150 miles? A long time. (laughs) Think of it. But it was a time that was actually refreshing and a time of growing with these disciples. Now, they also, there were things that happened in Tyre. There was a woman that actually came from Syria, which would have been all the way over here. She knew about Jesus somehow. And... She had a, a, a daughter that was demonically possessed. Came to me, and she came to there. So it was interesting. Even we could go back and find out. Entire, they came all the way down here to find out who Jesus is all about. So it's amazing. His fame had spread everywhere. And you say, well, where are we going with this? I, I want you to show all of these things that are leading up to this last miracle. The one we just read a few moments ago is the last miracle in Galilee. It actually is a change of course. We, it, and I said a continental divide. It would be literally that watershed or that time of the highest point of where now Jesus is moving beyond his fully blown public ministry where there's crowds and crowds and crowds following him. Now we're actually tipping on the other side where we have a private teaching of the disciples. They are starting to get it and yet still don't get it, if you will. So we find him here in this little town of Bethsaida. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but there's the last two miracles. No, actually, it's not true. The four, feeding of the 4,000, there's one in between. If you step one miracle back, it's the feeding of 4,000, which is in Decapolis. Okay? We know it was Gentiles because there's a very distinct way of <laughs> describing it. It says that those people, after being fed, said that they worshipped or praised the God of Israel. Now, why would you say that if you were not an Israelite? Because you're not. That was a Gentile region. The feeding of the 5,000, the 25,000, was literally within the confines of Galilee. He actually went, those were, those were Gentiles in the Decapolis area that he fed. And they actually, now keep in mind, what if you walked into that town? What if you would have went to those 10, that's why it's called Decapolis. There's 10 major towns okay, within that region. What would you find there? You would find statues of Zeus. You would find statues of all kinds of different gods. And yet, Jesus Christ was getting a crowd from them because he was doing things that their gods couldn't do. He was healing people. He was raising people in the sense of from any any ailment that their god couldn't fix. And here he is. He's living large, and he has the opportunity to feed those 4,000. But there's there's two miracles that only mark has in his gospel. They're not anywhere else in the other three gospels. The one is the healing of the deaf mute, which we find in Mark chapter 7, 
verses 31 through 37. And then the last, the other, the second one is the one we've just read. The one, the healing of the blind man. Those two are the only two miracles that are not recorded anywhere else except in Mark. Which you, what is that about? Does it mean anything? Well, we've found this whole purpose of us being in this entire journey through uh, Jesus' life, how we've depicted is the sense of his power. He has had power over water in the sense of creation. He's had power over sickness. He's had power over death. He's had power over blindness today. We've seen him. There's nothing that, uh, that he can't have power over, which that's pretty amazing. It captured people. In fact, one of the things, uh, let's think, talk about this for a moment. Remember John the Baptist? John the Baptist was the forerunner. He said, uh, I must decrease, he, Jesus, must increase, or the Messiah. He wasn't sure exactly who that was for a while, but at the same time, that was his message. His message was to clear the way, to say, you must repent, for the kingdom of God is coming. It's here at hand. Now, he's the one, when Jesus came, he saw him from far off, and he said, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. I mean, it sounds like he's locked on. He's got it, right? But later in his life, after he was actually jailed, he tells his disciples to go and ask something. Let's go to, uh, I believe we'll find it in Luke. Let's go to Luke chapter 7. I think, hopefully that's right. Luke chapter 7 and verse 20, let's see, verse 18. So let's look at this now. When... Verse 18, chapter 7 of Luke. The disciples of John showed him all of these things, and John calling unto him two of his disciples sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come, or should we look for another? Oh, wait a minute. This is the guy that said, uh, Behold, the Lamb of God that comes to take away the sin of the world. And now he says later, Are you really that one? Why would he say that? Where's the kingdom? Where's all these things that when Jesus showed up we thought would just happen? How is Jesus going to answer this? This is going to be interesting, isn't it? Because they come to him and they, are you, the really, are you really the one? Or should we look for somebody else? And he says this, same passage of Scripture, verse 21. And in that same hour, he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits. And unto many that were blind, he gave sight. That were blind, he gave sight. Then Jesus said unto them, Go your way and tell John what things you have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and to the poor the gospel is preached. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. It's very interesting because that was spoken of back in Isaiah chapter 35, that that would be signs of the coming Messiah that would be performed. That's all he told them. That's all, that's all he went back to tell John. But it was good enough. Because it's exactly what was described in the Old Testament as being who the, who, what the Messiah would be doing. And here we are with another example of the power over blindness. Now, blindness, if you if, go back to that day, try to slip into the shoes or the sandals of a blind person. What would that be like? You're blind in Israel. <clears throat> Bethsaida is your town. Oh, by the way, there would have been three of those disciples. This was hometown. Peter, Andrew, and Philip. This was where they were raised. They went to school there. I don't know if they did or not, but that's where they were. That's, they went, that, that was where the grocery store was. That's where everything happened in their life was right there. They learned to be fishermen right there because the Sea of Galilee is right there. This was hometown. I wonder, did they know this blind man? <clears throat> Just the way it's described, he probably was not born blind. That's a whole other topic that's in John chapter 9. But it would, do you remember what, just think about that for just a second. John chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, it unfolds. And the disciples asked something as they see this one that was born blind. They said, was, his, was it he, was his, his parents had sinned, or was it he? Now, if he was born with that, how could he possibly? And Jesus said, it's, no, it's not like that at all. It's not like that at all. It was like Job's friends. Remember, how would you like to have friends like that? Everything fell apart. You've lost everything. And here comes your friends. Dun, 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 and here we are. And we sit there for about, what, how many days? And they don't say anything. It was the best thing they ever said. It was nothing. And then they started to say, you know what, Job? You're the problem. The only reason you've lost everything is because you somewhere did something that really ticked God off. Isn't it amazing how we come up with that? And you know what? Even uh, as I was reading more about... Uh, 
at deaf people in, in the last two, we're kind of tying these a bit together, but that deaf mute that Jesus healed just prior to the feeding of the 4,000, which was in a Gentile region, and here we have the, 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 the uh, healing of the blind man, both of those would have seen as complete outcasts. Complete outcasts. They wouldn't have even been sociable. They wouldn't have been allowed into the synagogue. They wouldn't have been allowed really to be part of the congregation of even the people. That's how they, they were an outcast, totally. Almost on the same level as lepers. That's just how it was because they saw something wrong with them. If you're diseased or you have a problem, there's something wrong with you. And you've noticed, have you noticed about Jesus? His compassion? His, we, we'll say this again. If someone asked Jesus to show his power, such as the scribes and Pharisees, guess what? Never happened. But when Jesus was confronted with someone that was suffering and was in a deep amount or, or a whole lot of trouble, his compassion is what revealed his power. You'll find it all through those Gospels. His compassion is what opened his power. And the power that he had over every single thing was literally, it was stemmed from the love and compassion that God has. Now, the other thing you'll notice, uh, one of the things, even on this blind man, the, the, the chances of someone actually touching that person outside of their own family would have been incredibly minuscule. You don't touch people that have a problem. Okay? It, it was a stigma, if you will. You notice in this one that we've just read, which is a very simple story, Jesus not only touched him once, it was a two-stage miracle of which, just as a parenthesis, this is the only time in all of the Gospels, in all of Jesus' miracles, that it's a two-step miracle. All of the others is wham, bam, and you're, you're fixed. Perfectly. Perfectly. Not halfway. Done. This was a two-step. And he touched him. You always see that Jesus is so personal. So close. Remember, remember raising that little girl, that 12-year-old uh, that girl of the, uh, what was, uh, same time, same time when the, the woman with the 12, what was it? Jairus. There we go. I was looking for that name. Jairus' 12-year-old daughter. Remember, he just took her and lifted her up. And it was, you can see his person, his touching, his compassion, all of that. That's who Jesus was. You know, suffer not the little children to come on to me. He loved people. He loved people. And his power was always evident amongst that. Well, here we have this, this, uh, see, now I lost my train of thought. Two-stage miracle. Two-stage miracle, that's good. Oh, I know, I know where we're at. These, these people would be called untouchables. That would be a good term for blindness, for deaf. In fact, I've, there was, there was, I was doing some studying on the deaf people. For years gone by, the Native, the Native Americans would actually execute those that were deaf because they couldn't, it was like they couldn't understand. Well, have you tried not hearing anything and people are talking? You don't really get it, do you? I mean, now there's lots of ways that have been you know, morphed in the sense of lip reading, all of that. But my point is, is that these were a people that were outcast, and here's Jesus healing them, taking it time, taking energy, taking all that he was and healing these people. Well, those two miracles particularly, the healing of the deaf and of the blind man, those two are the only ones, as I already said, that, were, that are just in Mark. In this thing, we actually, if you were going to take the book of Mark and you were going to divide it into three sections, there's Act 1, where Jesus would be involved in public ministry. He'd be teaching. He would be, he would be healing in a very large setting. And most of the time, as the crowds would come to him, he would literally be pressed against the water because he's, his base point is Capernaum. He would have to get into a ship or a boat, and he would then speak to literally thousands of people. That's the first part of Mark. And now we are at the beginning of the second part. This last miracle that shows his deity, that really shows the disciples and their need, is the fact that he's going to move now to a private teaching session with the disciples. Do you remember what happened last week? We talked about in John, I think it was John chapter 6, that discourse about fed 25,000, guess what they wanted? We had supper last night, let's have breakfast tomorrow morning. And sure enough, here they come. 25,000 and who knows how many more others. You can imagine how quickly that went. If, if the brother and his family weren't there at the 25,000, you will not believe this guy. That's the best fishing chips we've ever had. I mean, mom couldn't even make them like that. And here they come, coming out of the woodwork. And Jesus said, you know, the only reason you're here, really, quite honestly, is for the miracles. That's what it's all about. 
That's all that matters to you. I would rather, and we've said this several times through this little study, so many times people use God rather than worship God. Now, we just saw where the disciples finally have went to the point, the first time we saw him worship was when he was walking on water. But those people, guess what happened? When Jesus gave the bread of life seminar, if you will, he says, it's spiritually that I'm here. It's not, it's not, the bread that I gave you just proves that I am who I am. But you won't believe. And guess what happened? They all went away. He turns to the disciples, are you guys going to go away too? And then Peter responded for the disciples, no, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. That was a great eye-opening, if you will. But literally, the crowds began to stop coming in the mass that they did. You could start to see things changing. The real disciples now were engaged. Isn't it amazing? It's, our world's the same today. There's a lot of people that, quote-unquote, sort of like serve God just so they can use God. Dial up need. Dial a promise. But how much, do, how much, of, how much of me do I give God? Well, that's, that's off limits. Same deal, isn't it? It's amazing how people are people. doesn't matter what day it is. 2,000 years ago, it's no different. It's no different. What would, what would happen if somebody had free lunch, uh, served 25,000 people, didn't charge anything? We'd probably find out what that's all about. And the point of the matter was is what it did is it proved that Jesus was exactly who he said he was. But they didn't want to know what he was really here for. There's another message I want you to roll around in your mind right now. You've seen it in Scripture. There's only one person that I can find. If you remember back the, the uh, demoniac that had those, that legion, which is probably upwards of anywhere 2,000 to 5,000 demons within one person, which is crazy. Because remember, it was 2,000 individual pigs that went to their death. And I'm telling you, you cannot have a herd of pigs do anything together. I've raised pigs. If 100 of them get out, poof, they go 100 different directions because they know somebody's going to get away. It's like herding cats. It's the same. Herding pigs is the same deal. Sheep, whole other matter. You send the one sheep over the cliff, they'll all follow. I wonder what went there, right? It's the same deal. At any rate, that demoniac, there was something. Remember what Jesus said? He said, go and tell. That's the only one that ever came across Jesus' miracles. And he had been, literally, everyone knew about this guy that was in the graveyards. It was, he, was, he was so out there, so crazy. And for him to go home, to be in his right mind, he was the first Gentile missionary. That was the first one. And Jesus told, well, of course, when he went home, when he went home, nobody knew about Jesus there. There was nobody there that knew him. But if you, did you notice again today? It was another example. Uh, don't tell anybody. Don't go into town. In fact, just go to your home. This is the, the, the blind man. He lived in Bethsaida, or that was his home, that was his address, but apparently didn't live in town. He said, just go home, but don't go into town. Don't tell anyone. Why wouldn't you tell anyone? And I could go through numerous examples of the scripture saying, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Uh, Jesus, isn't this what it's all about? Aren't you supposed to tell people about you? You know what? The full message wasn't really in. The disciples didn't even have it all together. In fact, we're going to look at something here briefly, and we'll come back to it. The fact that if anyone that talked about Jesus right now with what they knew, they would have only talked about his miracles and his healings. And that was not the full story. That was not the full message. It was his power showing that he was more than that. He wasn't just a healer. He was literally showing that the Messiah, that Christos, the anointed one that God had spoken of all the way back, you could trace it to Genesis 3.15, that he's here now. It's Emmanuel, God with us. And that God with us came literally to save us spiritually. That was the whole message. And to just say he's healing people, no, that wasn't the message. It wasn't ready. It wasn't complete. Does that make any sense? Let's take a look at this. I'm jumping ahead. We'll come back to this in a moment. But let's go back to Mark. Mark chapter... Eight, and let's take. Whoops, I'm in Matthew. That won't work out. Mark chapter eight is where we were, and we've just finished at verse twenty-six. In other words, let's just read that last part of verse twenty-six. He sent him away, that be the blind man, to his house, saying, "Neither go into town, nor tell it to any in the town." I want to talk about that for just a moment. What town? Obviously, it's Bethsaida. Okay. Now, what do you know about about Bethsaida? That's where 25,000 people were fed not very long ago. 
Can you imagine? That must have spread through the entire town, right? I mean, it had to. In fact, if we would go to, uh, I think it's Luke chapter 11. Is it chapter 11? I'm not going to remember it again. I forgot it last week too, but let me just look real quickly. Um, where it talks about those, those cities that would be, would be um, I'm not going to find it again. At any rate, he says, woe unto Chorazin, woe unto Bethsaida. Woe unto, and he says it's going to be worse for you than Sodom and Gomorrah because of all of the, re, the release of truth. I've told you all of these things. I've showed you all of these things, and you have literally just disdained it. You have not believed any of it. You know what? He's done. It's over. He never, now he goes, he goes through Galilee one more time after this, quietly, without wanting anyone to know. He's done here. He's given them all the truth they need. That's, that's, that's an impressive thing, isn't it? How long will you reject truth till God says, that's enough, that's it, there's no more? I don't know. I, for everyone, it's different. That's, imp- that's, pretty, that's a big deal. That whole region where he spent the entire portion of his, his largest public ministry was done right there. And he says, enough. Enough. In fact, Bethsaida, if somebody knows where that's at, it would be cool to find. I, I didn't write it down in my notes. I don't know why, but I didn't. Where it says that cursed is Bethsaida. And on this very note. Okay, let's keep going now. This is now, this is this continental divide of where this whole thing changes. Look at verse 27. This becomes a very private session now with the disciples. Verse 27. And Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. Now, that is about 25, I don't know if it's on this map. Does anyone see Caesarea Philippi? It would be about 25 miles north. It would probably be about right there. So he left the region right after that healing. And did you notice something else? Did you, did you catch this? Now, we know that people brought the blind man and literally just threw him at Jesus' feet. What can you do with him, right? You remember what Jesus did? Did you, did you catch this the first time? I don't ever remember. I don't catch this stuff. You just read it. A blind man was healed. And it's a very quick story. It doesn't take very long. You should read the story, go home, say amen. It's all over, right? But look at this. He actually, Jesus, took him by the hand and led him out of town. So he's like making it private, if you will. Let's make sure that we see that. Let's go back to, you're right there in Romans, Romans, Mark chapter 8, and let's take a look at verse 22 and 23 again. Let's just read it again. And he cometh to Bethsaida, verse 22, and they bring, they bring a blind man unto him and besought him to touch him. Now, why did they say that? They've seen a whole lot of Jesus touching people, and it turns out really good for that person. That's, that's a really good thing. Remember, remember even that woman? She said, if I could just touch his clothes, if I could just touch his garment. And guess what? Jesus, again, that person, that, that person to person, he's walking along, and all of a sudden he turns and he said, somebody touch me. Touch my, there's power that went out from me, right? It's power that went out of me. And, and she was, he was literally shaking in fear, and she said, it was I. Do you, do you see the significance of that? the power that, th- that he had just by the touches? Okay, well, let's keep going. I missed, the whole point I was going to make was next, verse 23. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. Isn't that? Did you see that before? It's not like he stayed in town. They left. No, you say, why was he in town? Well, I think there would have been a, quite a little bit of family reunion. Remember the three guys that lived there? There's a lot of family there. Remember Jesus even healed... Peter's mother-in-law. Remember that way back when? She probably lived in this town. They were gathered to visit and to be part of the family. He leads the blind man out of town. They're on the outskirts. Okay, let's do, let's do, thank you, Paul. Let's go to Luke 10, 13 for just a moment. This ties in with, we, all of this stuff is happening in Bethsaida. Now, did you notice something else? This is the same place that the feeding of the 5,000, or the 25,000 in total probably, were fed at Bethsaida. How many followed him out right now? You don't get the idea that many did at all. Hardly anyone. Luke chapter 10, verse 13. Woe unto thee, Chorazin, and woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, remember that? We were way up here, Tyre and Sidon. We don't even know what happened there. We have no record of anything that Jesus did other than it says he was there. Tyre and Sidon. If 
let's see, where am I at? I lost it. Which have been done in you. They had a great while ago repented, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it should be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. Man, those are harsh words. What is it being said? Jesus gave so much evidence of who he was. Jesus gave so much truth. He gave so much healing. He gave so much unbelievable attention and compassion to those people that lived in Bethsaida. And they're held as responsible. They're held accountable for that. So he leads him out of town, and he does what is called the only two-stage miracle. We're out of town, and it says in verse 23 that he had spit on his eyes, and he put his hands upon him. Okay, that sounds... You, it's there. I don't need to add any more graphics to it, probably, but that's a little bit... What? what what's going What do you think the blind... Of course, the blind man can't see this happening. But he's wondering, what is taking place, right? And then Jesus asked the only question of anyone that was ever healed. He says, he asked him if he could see. And he looked up. It's not like he's looking up. It's like for the first time he's really looking out. And he says, well, I see men as trees walking. Okay? That's kind of like a step in the right direction. Uh, Trees, of course, are upright. Men, he would have had some idea, and, and we don't know when he lost his sight. It seems from the way it's described, a blind man, he was not born blind, but he became blind. So he would have some instance of uh, evidence of what people would look like. And he said, well, so far, I can't really tell the difference between people and trees. Well, we're not quite there, are we? <laughs> not quite there. And then Jesus does this. In verse 25, After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up, and he was restored and saw every man clearly or perfectly. It would like be having, um, now I don't know what happened to me, but about 50, these babies, these glasses that I, I have to have them to read. I don't know what that's about. I had 2015 vision for a long time, and all of a sudden it disappeared. Never to be seen again. This one, this blind man, Do you think Jesus gave him 2060, 28? It was perfect vision. Perfect vision. He could see close. He could see afar off. What a day that must have been. What do you think that man felt like? I'm going to go tell everybody. In fact, before he even does and thinks about that, Jesus said, don't tell anybody. And we've already crossed through that a little bit. Don't tell anybody. What do you mean don't tell anybody? Don't even go into town. Can you imagine that? That would be a newsworthy piece, right? Go back to this. You You know me, right? I can see. Give give me a book. I'll read it. Do you know what? Jesus was done with Bethsaida. He'd showed them a lot of things. We could go on. We could go the list of miracles that Jesus did in Bethsaida. You know what? One more wouldn't have mattered. Remember that rich? I just came to my mind. That rich man and Lazarus. Jesus talked about that. I think it's in Matthew chapter 16. And the rich man, once he he was in Hades, he said, just send someone back to my brothers so that they 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 would get it. Someone back from the dead to read. No, that wouldn't work. It doesn't work that way. If you don't believe the word of God, nothing will work. Isn't that true? It's absolutely true. Look at Jesus Christ. I mean, we have a record. We have a historical record of this one that divide. we still divide time by. There's people that are trying to make that go away. But we have before Christ, B.C., and we have after Christ, A.D. And you know what? Was he here? I guess so. It's pretty obvious. Was he dead? Yes. Was he buried? Yes. Was he rose again? Yes. There was 500 people at one time that saw him living, breathing, and talking after he was raised from the dead. How much more do we need? Right? Wow. You either, remember we, we had a, we had a, a pass, uh, our teaching in this, in this same passage. We talked about power. We've talked about power over this and power over that. Tell you what, don't miss the power of unbelief. The power of unbelief will send you straight to hell. You can look truth in the face, and you can deny it, and you can disbelieve it, and it is the most powerful thing that sends a whole lot of people straight to hell. The power of unbelief. Our nation today is filled with unbelief. In fact, we're so messed up now, we've been rejecting truth long enough before now, we don't even know what truth is. Because, And I'm, I'll tell you what, when I listen to the news, I listen to all this other stuff, I don't know what's true and what's not true. I almost like in Ukraine, I'd like to call somebody and say, what's it really like over there? I don't know. I literally don't know. I mean, we see stuff, but it's like that with everything, isn't it? It's crazy. Someone tells you this is truth, and the absolute opposite of this is truth as well. That became about whenever, how many years ago, when someone in great 
I was going to say wisdom with quotes around it, that you can have your own truth. Paul can have his truth. Bill can have his truth. Carol can have your tr- her truth. And all of you can have your own truth, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. What? Where did that come from? I can tell you where it came from. From the very depths of Satan. Because as soon as we've lost the sense of truth, we've lost our way. We're doomed. There's a famine in the land. There's a famine today in this world where truth is absent. In fact, our latest generation, the Gen Zs, I say this over and over again because it's, it's at the point where I think we're at a continental divide of not getting truth. Not even being able to get it and pass it on. The Gen Zs today, by a large majority, believe you cannot know truth. Did you work with that for a while? Truth matches reality. What do you mean you can't know truth? Okay, so what do you live by? Then if you have a belief... That means you must adhere to that, right? You must, you're living, life is reality. What, what are you living by then? What is truth? It's whatever say the loudest and the longest. Just make it up and say it over and over and over and over again. Isn't that what the news media is really good at? That's what becomes truth to the person that doesn't know truth. Isn't that exactly right? Guess what happens in the end in the tribulation? Let's go there. This is not in my notes. I don't know if it should be here or not, but let's take a look, see if we can find our way. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. God is going to come to the point, he's going to say, you know what? Good enough. I will just let you guys believe a lie. I think I'm right. If not, we'll dig around a little bit. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And verse 10, this is speaking of, we could go back and talk about the coming of the man of sin, the Antichrist, the the restrainer, that is the Holy Spirit, that literally, when the church is raptured out, guess what goes with? The Holy Spirit. How would you like to be in this world after the Holy Spirit is gone? No, thank you. Whoa, whoa. If you thought you could handle temptation or a little bit of it, you got no chance now. There's nothing to hold it back. Now, that's what happens just before this verse, but let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's look at verse 10. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. That they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Those are some pretty catastrophic verses. Romans chapter 1 talks about turning them over. Turning them over to their own lusts. I tell you what, I don't know where we're at in, in, in the time frame of where the rapture and the tribulation. All, I'm not here to set dates. I, I'm not into that stuff. Because if I picked one, we know it wouldn't be that time. Because so, everybody knows, no one knows. Only God knows. But I do know this. At the level and the speed of which we are approaching disbelieving truth, we are on our way. It's very true. Tell you what, it's, it's, almost, it's almost sickening to think the level of which truth has fallen out. And I'm talking about biblical truth. There is a famine in this land for truth. May truth spread throughout Every place on this planet, because it's our only hope, Jesus saves. Jesus died for sin. Jesus rose again. If he did not rise from the dead, I would not be standing here today. If he couldn't whip death, what's my point? I just will live happy and be merry and do it, live it up and call her good. Right? What's the point? Why, why wouldn't you? But Jesus did it differently. That's an empty grave. Buddha's in a grave. Hare Krishna's in a grave. I could go on. Jim Jones is in a grave. I'm thinking that's a whack job, but, it lit- but you know what? He's still in a grave. He didn't fly away. He's not in another planet or another right? He's in a grave. He's right there. That says a lot, doesn't it? I don't want my Savior to be in a grave. Because if he's in a grave, I'm going to be in a grave forever. And yet it says, I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 8. It might be wrong. Don't write that down. But to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. That is my firm, I'm I'm looking with so much, I can't wait, I cannot wait. We've got stuff to do here, 
We've got stuff that Jesus wants. You're here for this season, for this reason, that you got stuff that God wants you to do for him. Don't ever miss that. You're not out of time. Jesus came at exactly the right time. You're here at exactly the right time to do what you're supposed to do for Jesus Christ. And as you become more like him every day, there's more and more people, there's more and more steps in your journey that literally take others to the same direction. You're here for a reason. Okay, I don't know where all that stuff came from, but let's get back to what we were doing. We're talking about a blind man that got healed. But I'll tell you what, let's just take a little bit of a break. We've talked about physically Jesus healing that blindness in two stages. It's pretty cool. And he could have done it in one. But I'm wondering, doesn't say why, but isn't sometimes spiritually for us how we can be so blind? Isn't it? And there's people that can hear the gospel, which was the second miracle in Mark that no one else has recorded in any of the others, the healing of the deaf, mute. It's amazing how without God intervening, without actually presenting the gospel from his perspective to go right to the heart, right to the mind of that person, apart from God, the Holy Spirit doing that, it's amazing how deaf we are to the gospel. Faith cometh by hearing. It does. That's right. By the word of God. That's right. And the blindness that we have. You know, that's all literally. In fact, where's that? I did another verse. Uh, Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. See if this is right. That's right. Yeah, that's the one I'm thinking of. I hope I'm in the right place. That'd be Second Corinthians. I went to First Corinthians. It wasn't there, Bill. But Second Corinthians, I think it is, eleven three. Actually, there's another verse. This one will work too, though. Second Corinthians eleven three. But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtility, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Let's just go back to Adam and Eve for a moment. I mean, things are perfect. I mean, perfect. There's nothing out of line. You're not hungry. You're not cold. You're not anything. You're ca- you don't even need a car. You're per- it's so good. You don't even have to go anywhere. You don't have to pay $5 for gas, right? It's fantastic. You're walking with God in the afternoons. Can you, I can't even get you there, can I? I'm trying, but I can't get you there. It's so wonderful. And all of a sudden on a day, a given day, just wake up every other morning. Oh boy, and here's this guy, that, this serpent, that says, did God really? Did he really? I mean, I can't believe it, but did he really tell you you couldn't eat of that tree? Well, as a matter of fact, he did. Now, what's the first thing that goes with that? You doubt that God loves you. She doubted that God really, really cared about her. Isn't that what happens every time we sin? God doesn't either know what he's talking about or he really doesn't care about us. That's exactly what happens. And you know what he did? Just as that word that was used in Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, he beguiled her. He was like putting her in a fog. Think back now. Think to Mark. And Jesus, he spit on his eyes and he put his hands on them. And he asked him, can you see? He says, well, yes. <laughs> it's way better than it was. But I, so far, I'm just seeing men and trees the same. You know what? Spiritually, there's a lot of similarities to that. The dulling of that. The fog that he w- He was in a fog almost. And then Jesus comes again, puts his hands on him. He said, what do you see now? Oh, it's 2020. It might even, I don't know, it was perfect vision 2010. I don't know what it was, it, but it's perfect. It's just like we were created to have. Isn't that beautiful? You know what? As he, as he, uh, as he healed that deaf mute, which was just for, a little bit further back in the chapter, how many, how many times people cannot hear the gospel? Jesus Christ died for you. He loved you so much that he died for you personally on a cross, rose from the dead to prove that he was once and for all, that sin was conquered, the power of death is over, you can be saved through faith. And there's people, it's like this, they can't hear it. Just like a deaf person, right? I think those two miracles are placed there in Mark specifically. For the very thing that now takes place, because what Jesus is doing with the disciples, he's having personal on-track time with them. Let's look at the first thing he does now with these disciples after this miracle. I think we started a couple of times. Have you noticed I just go all over the place? That's who I am, right? So let's go to Mark chapter 8 once again. 
And we've seen this story about the blind man, this, this healing. In verse 27, here we go. We've been here before, but I'm sorry, we'll go further this time. Oh, I know where we stop. Jesus went out, verse 27, and his disciples into the town of Caesarea Philippi. Now, again, it's not on this map, but it would be about 25 miles straight north of Bethsaida. And by the way, he asked his way, and on the, was on the way, they were the walking. He said unto them, whom do men say that I am? Wow. Let's get this right, right? Whom do men say that I am? And that's not really the really important question. He wants to know who they say I am, but let's see what they say. Who do men say that I am? They answer, well, John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, but whom say you? That I am. And Peter answereth and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. Now, to a Jew, when you say the word Christ, it would be Christos, which means would be the anointed one, the redeemer that was to come that God talked about. This is the deal when you say you are the Christ. That's a big deal. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. Again, did you see that again? What what is going on? Why do you do that? Because the message isn't clear. Now watch what happens. And don't go there yet. I'm going to build it a little bit. Verse 31, he says something to the disciples that they have never, ever heard from him so far. Now it was in, I'm going to say, painted language or vagueness. But now he's got them alone. This miracle that they've just seen has really turned the crank. If we went back to Matthew, maybe we should do that. No, maybe not. In Matthew, the same story about the healing of the blind man, it's even more robust in how they see uh, how the disciples respond to this. Who do you say I am? It's amazing. We've got to go there. Let's just go to Matthew for a moment. Let's go to Matthew like 15. If not, we'll find our way around. Matthew, let's go back to Matthew. Chapter 15, I believe. Maybe 16. It is 16. Okay. Uh, Matthew 16, 13. This is exactly the same passage we're just reading now in Mark. Chapter 8, this is Matthew 16. Let's start in verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, we just talked about that. Now, that was a city that was named actually in, in honorarium of the Caesar by Herod, uh, Herod Philip, or Philip the Herod, okay? That's a nice name, isn't it? Caesarea Philippi, kind of like honoring yourself after you honored the Caesar. That's pretty cool. He asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I am? No, that I, the Son of Man, am. And they said, Some say, Thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say you that I am? And Simon answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Did you see that again? How do you get spiritual insight? It literally comes from God. And it comes through the Word of God. You have to read the Word of God to see all of the dynamics that come spiritually. Let's go back now to Mark, and let's read this passage. Mark chapter 8, and let's keep going. He, he charged them, verse 30. Are you back there? Mark chapter 8, verse 30. He charged them. He told them, don't tell any man of it. Because what did they know so far? Stop. Let's say it again. Why would he tell them that? What's the thing that's not, not complete in their minds? What, what haven't they got? The death and resurrection. They were getting that he was God. In fact, when he was in the boat and he walked on water, they worshipped him. Now, who do you worship if you're a Jew? Only God. And Jesus let them. Now, remember John, the apostle, when he's in, when he's in uh, writing the book of Revelation in this vision, he fell down before an angel, and that angel said, no, 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 don't worship me. Jesus, of course, being God, received that worship. That was the first time they worshiped. They believe he's God, but they don't know what's coming in the first coming. This first com- See, they couldn't see the difference. Even Daniel. See, those, those, those peaks of, of prophecy, you can't, if, you're, if you're on the highest point point, you're looking to another one, there's so many of those other smaller dips and valleys that you don't know what's going on. Daniel couldn't see the first coming. He could only see the, the messianic kingdom. The one that's coming is the millennial kingdom, and he's going to be the king for in that thousand years and beyond. Okay, But here we are. But the one thing the disciples did not know was the coming death, the persecution that even goes before that. I should say persecution, death, burial, and resurrection. They, they didn't know about that. And without that, the story about Jesus is really only about healing. It's only about him being what should I say? The outward signs. Okay? 
Now, what is, going to Jesus, what is Jesus going to do in verse 31? If you don't think this is important, this is the deal. This is the continental divide. He says in verse 31, he began to teach them. He began to teach them. He began to teach them. Am I getting that through to you now? He began to teach them. What's he going to begin to teach them? That the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Now, I'm going to tell you how foreignness is because look at this. After he spake that saying openly, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. What are you talking about? This is the kingdom. I mean, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be right there with you. I mean, we're going to lead this charge, and we're going to wipe out the Romans, and we're going to get rid of all these clowns, and it's going to be the kingdom of God on the whole entire earth. What are you saying? How did Jesus respond to that? This is really stern. Let's keep going. Let's go back to the next verse. When he had turned about, verse 33, and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Oh, that's a, woof, that was kind of a slap, right? But it's spot on. And he says this, we could go, I'm not going to take the time, but we go on and on and on and on. Jesus continually, for this time of frame of private interaction, of private ministry, of private teaching, private seminars with the disciples, tells him over and over and over and over, you know what? I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be persecuted. But he always says, I'm going to rise again. And it's like they just turned it off. They don't, they don't want to hear that. because Sometimes, you know, there's stuff we don't want to hear. You know, I, I've got some stuff I don't want to hear. Right? You, you like me or not really? You're smiling, so you are. You don't even know. Right? It's like that. You know what? Because they didn't know what to do with it. Wait a minute. We followed this guy around for probably about two years now, and he's going to be killed? What did we do? Waste our lives? And it even got worse. Remember those disciples on the road to Emmaus after he was killed? After he was buried? <laughs> They're so depressed, right? Oh, man. Boy. That's terrible. I can't believe it. And here comes this guy. He just joins them. Hey, what, what are you guys down for? What's, what's, what's going on? What you guys have? You haven't heard? I mean, Jesus was crucified. Oh, really? <laughs> this is Jesus, by the way. Right? I mean, what, what, and, he said, and it says, what did it say there? He opened the scriptures to them. See, it's all of the truth, all of the stuff, all of the guide points are all in the scriptures. And he, he does, you know what about Jesus? He likes to do stuff on the walk, on the trot. He does it while he's walking. He did it with the disciples. He does it with, you know what? You can listen to the Bible in your headset. I do it almost every day. Daily reading? I don't have to read it if I can listen to it, right? Isn't that cool? I got it made. But here's Jesus walking along the road. He's got these disciples, those going on in Emmaus. He's got them in his hand. Well, why don't you go on with us? Oh, I don't think I will. Oh, please. So he sits down for the supper, and he breaks the bread, and he gives thanks to it. And I'm all, I, it's not in the scripture, but I'll tell you what. I don't know how you couldn't put out your hands. and It's him. Those scars in his hands. And he was gone, poof, like that. Now, wouldn't that be, in fact, it, it revved those guys up so much, they went back where they came from and said, Jesus is alive. Now, that should be our message every single day. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. The encouragement that came to them because of, you know what? That was the whole message. Because Jesus does say to us and to his disciples, let's go to Matthew chapter 28. There's a time in which, after it's all completed, he says this. Matthew chapter 28 and let's look at verses 18 through 20. Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came and spake unto them. He's talking about, in fact, let's, go, let's take a step back. I want to get your, get your context. Verse 16, same chapter, Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the 11 disciples, what do you mean 11 disciples? What's happened to our 12th guy? Oh, Judas, that's right. He was kind of a fraud, right, from the very beginning. In fact, last time, I could go back and show you, but the last time we were together, where it talked about the fact that Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus' next statement was, Didn't I select twelve and one of you is a devil? He points it out right away who will be the disbeliever. Now, here he is. We've got eleven disciples gathered. Verse 16. They went away into Galilee, into the mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. 
and still can't believe that he's really here. And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And I say amen again. That's the message. Now, did you see that? He told those disciples, he's telling us today, go out and tell the message everywhere. Why? Because it's complete. It's complete. It's full. It's complete in every aspect of it. Prior to that, until they, the disciples, really got this. You know what? They didn't get it until after they literally saw him risen. All of those miracles proved to them that he was the Christos, the anointed one, the Redeemer, the Messiah, but they didn't get the fact that there was another coming. Now, when Jesus comes the second time, I don't think the rapture is very far away. We get caught up in the air with our master and our king, our savior. And when Jesus comes back the second time, now that's not the rapture. Rapture is a distinct, we meet him in the air. He does not come to earth until the second coming. He lands on the Mount of Olives. He splits that baby. I know he lands. And you know what? He does come back as master, Lord, and king. And that day is coming because it says so in the Bible. That's what's really cool about the Bible. It's spot on every day of every day predicting the future from the end on both sides of anything that we can even imagine. Eternity is beyond what we can comprehend, and yet God is there. And wherever you are, God is there. Wherever those disciples were, God was there. When they were really down, he was there. When you're really down, he's there. When you're really up, don't forget that he's there. Easy to do, isn't it? Some of the most dangerous times for us is when we're having it really good. We forget who got us there. It's very true. The blind man being healed was literally the turning point, the point at which these disciples finally got it, that this was God, and he's taking them to the next level. He's on that, you know, they talk about in real estate. The three most important things of property is location, location, location. The three most things about being a disciple from this point on are instruction, instruction, instruction. They're going to get it. They're going to get it. But with that, when we think about all of the things that we have had in our lives unfolded spiritually, if you've come to Jesus Christ, if you've trusted him as Savior, we need to thank God for what he has revealed to us about Jesus Christ. There's, there's countless people across this globe today that have either haven't heard the message or have not understood the message or are blinded to the message. We need to pray for those people. We need to spread the gospel everywhere we go because it's life, it's love. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love and your care. Thank you for all that you've done for us. More things than we could possibly know or things you've kept us from. Oftentimes we've been held up, we've been whatever, and we're irritated by all of that, and yet all of the things that potentially you have saved us from are outside of our grasp of even knowing. Father, I ask that you be each one that's here today or in the, in, within the range of hearing my voice, that these times in which we find ourselves living, Jesus Christ will never shine brighter on a background of black than now. Father, as we lift up Jesus' name, as we honor you, as we bless you, as we glorify you, as we worship you, then our hearts become more in tune with you. We ask that you give power, that you give strength, just as you did the disciples, to this group here today. Give them what they need. Tomorrow morning, Monday, there's obviously things that take place. Our world runs at a rapid pace. May we keep in focus the Lord Jesus Christ, who literally we are becoming more like every single day. You've promised that you will not uh, shortcut that in Philippians 1.6, that you're faithful to do everything that's necessary until the very end. Thank you for that. Thank you for, for taking us where we need to be just one step at a time. You're not in a hurry, but may we continue to focus on you. Father, we thank you too for all those today, Father, as we uh, 
Think of those that are serving you across this world. Protect them, provide for them. We pray for those that are being maligned and persecuted today for you. May you give them everything they need, the strength to persevere, to move on, because they are held in the very hands of yourself. Father, we go, we go our separate ways, one step at a time, on this journey we call life. You are preparing us, sanctifying us, until one day we cross that line and we are with you forever. What a glorious day that will be. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.